Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his Welcome decree. to another exciting episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm your host, Greg. I'm your host, John. And we will soon be joined by our other other host, Mike. Hopefully. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, Greg. I'm having a, a wonderfully normal Wednesday evening. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, about the same. Uh, definitely looking forward to getting a little bit of a break from work uh, with the upcoming holiday. So that's always good. Totally. Yeah. I, I t- oh, go ahead. I took the week off from work, so I'm, I'm uh, very much looking forward to, to having yeah, and doing some hobby. <laughs> get got get plan on getting some painting done, playing some games, and and uh, also spending some time with my family. So yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. A little extra uh, hobby time, you know, when there's there's days off. Um, so what's on your painting desk right now? What have you been working on? A uh, couple of different projects. I I've been working on this. What would you call it? Um, it's a train set for 40k. It's like it came with the Sisters of Battle Box. It's like a ruined chapel building, and it came with some walls and a couple of buildings. And I painted all of the walls a while ago. I think I posted some pictures of those. But I finished like the medium-sized building, and I'm working on the big building. Um, and so those are coming out really well. I made a mistake. I uh, decided to start picking out some details on the train. That was the wrong choice. Yeah. Like yeah, I was I like, oh, you telling me that <laughs> I just want to pick out a little bit of this trim, and it'll look really good, and it does look good, but it has taken way too long. <laughs> so, um, lesson learned, maybe I don't know. I keep making that mistake, so maybe it's not really a lesson learned. But but they are looking nice, so whatever. That's that's been fun. It's kind of a slow backburn project for me. Um, I painted the entire Into the Dark terrain set, so that whole base Hulk set. Um, and I sent you some pictures, Greg, but I haven't posted them online yet. I painted the whole thing in like a midnight color scheme. So it's like dark blues. And mm-hmm. then I picked out the like what would be emergency lighting in like glowing colors, like with the OSL. And yep. I think it came out pretty good for how I, mean, I painted the whole thing in a week. So like it, yeah, it came together really fast. Um, and it looks, you know, it looks reasonable and we i've played some games on it it's not detracting from the game at all um but i wanted to get it done quick like you just i could have spent it's a big set i, oh, I sure. could have spent yeah. a year painting it if you were going to go into the details i just said i have to do something to get this done quickly so i can move on and i'm i'm pretty happy with the way it came out given the the time investment was was quick so yeah i think the effect definitely worked and 
you've been painting a lot of terrain recently. It's been right. I feel like every episode you're talking about some terrain feature. Yeah. Uh, although I also think the terrain features you've tackled have escalated each time in, <laughs> in size. So like how reliant on your airbrush are you for these projects? Usually so. Um, yeah, that's so, kind of what, <laughs> what yeah, I thought. Yeah, I know. Like the, the last train set I did, uh, the sisters about, or the, the chapel one, I used, um, a, a rattle can actually to do that one. Um, because I just rattle canned it and then I went back and dry brush over the top of it. That was kind of my color scheme. But for this yeah, one, for this, this space Hulk thing, I again used a rattle can. So I did a black, pri black primer and then like a midnight, I think the color was actually called midnight blue. Um, I painted most of it, but like with a zenithal. So I left the black and the complete undersides of stuff. But then I went back with the airbrush and I did two two more layers of zenithal highlights a little bit more aggressively from the top with a, a, a it's called Oxford blue. It's an AK color. Um, it's a dark blue. And then I air, then I dry brush over the top of that, but without the, without that zenithal, um, I think you really would have struggled to get shadows on it. Like you would have, you could have done it the same thing with dry brushing, but it would have required a lot more work with the dry brush. A lot more work. Yeah. And then the same thing with the, with the source lighting effects, that's all airbrush like almost entirely just the airbrush. So again, can you paint source lighting without an airbrush? Oh, sure. Absolutely. But it's, it's just so much easier with the airbrush. Um, so I've been using it a lot and, and I use it for, I just painted up some other models the other day, you know, I use it for pre-shading the models. So by the, when you go, like if you're doing a contrast paint, a pre-shade goes a long way to helping you have shadows not just like in the recesses, like if you're, I don't know, looking at an arm, yeah, you want to have a shadow in the folds of the arm, which is where contrast would settle and create a shadow. But right. you, you really want the underside of the arm to be darker than, right. the, than the top. Because the light's not hitting it. Yeah, the light's not there, the and contrast paint won't give you that. So that's yeah. where the, the pre-shading of just establishing a color gradient underneath the, the contrast or, or speed paint or whatever you're using really makes a huge difference in getting something done fast and it's still having shadows. So I don't know. I, <clears throat> I, I had to order a new needle for my airbrush recently because I damaged the, uh, the nozzle. I think just over time, it was like a little bit bent at the tip and it wasn't spraying nicely. Um, it was pretty expensive <laughs> for a replacement part. So like I, I, <laughs> I get why the airbrushing is a high barrier to entry for a lot of people with space, with cost. But it really is like a premium tool for, for getting stuff done. Greg, you really haven't... I feel like you would do a lot with an airbrush if you had one. Yeah, I I really should get one. <laughs> I, I had one way back when. It was it was probably the lowest quality airbrush you could get. It, I don't know if you remember this tool. It was called... The Games Workshop hand flamer? It, it was shaped like a hand flamer. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I remember. It was, uh, it was like their version of a, of a relatively low-cost airbrush. And I used it when I was painting a Vampire Counts Army for Warhammer Fantasy, and I sprayed, like, after using a rattle can to do, you know, the primer, 
the uh, black on my like ghouls and skeletons and stuff and crypt horrors who are all kind of like either bone or all flesh. So they're all kind of one color. Right. Um, I then put down like the base coat using that and then um, like washes and then uh, highlights. And that made life really easy for doing those models where they're primarily one color, even though they're smaller. Yes, you know, exactly. Um, but it was, it was not a great product. <laughs> it constantly uh, was having problems. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have it anymore. I think it, it, it met the trash years ago, but. You'd um, have to get a good one to really yes, get the value yes. <laughs> out of it. But, but I mean, just like from an artistic perspective, I think you're the kind of person who would really get good use out of having an airbrush. But it's a, it's a substantial investment. You, you probably need to spend three to $400 to get a decent setup. Yeah. To get everything that yeah. you need. So it's, it's not, it's not cheap. Fair enough. Well, I've been painting uh, the same thing. Slow and steady. <laughs> been painting One these dwarfs. Time. One at a time. Dwarf Ironbreakers. I talked about them previously. Uh, I'm more than halfway through the regiment now, so that's good news. And I'm, I am still really enjoying it. Um, Did you base so. it in, in multiple troops or was one regiment? Uh, it's going to be one regiment. You just don't yeah. even care about about uh, ambush, huh? No, I do, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. I prefer the look of a single, <laughs> a single uh, regiment. The man who likes pain, right there. He likes to, yeah, he likes to yeah. have armies that he can't play with. Yeah, just you know, they're locked in, and this is the only way you use them. There you go. Um, so I've been working on those, and I did paint. Uh, another model for for my uh, forces of nature for ambush although i plan to use this now at larger size games too because it was fun uh i painted up a winged unicorn but you know my force of nature army is almost exclusively mantic and i want to try and keep that intact and mantic doesn't make a winged unicorn miniature so what i did is I took the Scorchwing that comes with the Gekata Skylord, who's a salamander hero who is like a dude uh, who rides around on a Scorchwing. And I just, instead of mounting the Gekata on it, I just <clears throat> put him on the flying stand and had to do a little bit of sculpting to cover up like the connection points. Where the, where the Skylord would have been riding him. Exactly. Yeah, but it, it's pretty easy when you know you look at the texture of the Scorchwing, and it's right. It doesn't require fine detail, you know. So it it's pretty easy to do. And then, uh, yeah, use count that basically as my winged unicorn because he fits the profile well, right? He's got flying fifty millimeter base. He has a shooting attack of lightning five, so it's like a stronger version of the Scorchwing shooting attack and then he's also fairly decent in melee with uh melee three crush one thunder one but only three attacks and i was really happy with that i i didn't realize before i uh opened up the box that this scorchwing is massive it's compared way to the bigger ones that come yeah in the unit it's way bigger 
Yeah. Uh, so that also helps to drive home that it's, you know, an upgraded version. So I thought it looked pretty good. It was quick to paint and uh, fit right in with my nature stuff. So yeah, I think it fits, that's... fits the theme well and it looks good. Yeah, thanks. So now that that guy's done, I am really trying to stay focused and just keep working on these dwarfs. We were talking before we started recording, but uh, we don't have any two-day GTs now until the new year. And uh, it's been over a year I've been working on this dwarf army, so I'm really kind of hankering to get it on the table and start playing with it. So just trying to keep my head down, keep focused, one dwarf infantry model at a time <laughs> and and in 2023 you should see it on the table excellent i mean thankfully those like iron breakers are really pretty simple as far as models go oh yeah it's it's a huge time saver when you don't have to paint the skin and also compared to for example the long beards which i painted a regiment of they not only have skin with their face and their hands, but then they also have a bunch of just uh, daggers and um, pouches and other like accoutrements all over them. Whereas the iron breakers, they literally, they don't mess around. They've just got their ground rule armor and their shield. There's nothing hanging off their belt. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it it makes it a lot easier. So I was, um, I had a, a coworker from Europe who was uh, over in the United States recently. And uh, while he was over here, uh, he knows that I'm a gamer. And so he was like, you know, when I come over, let's let's gaming or something. So we got together and played some magic. Um, and I brought him down to our local game store, which, which Greg, you've been to. It's a huge, like massive game store. Um, yeah. There were people playing games there and stuff. And, and he was saying that when he was younger, he used to, um, paint Lord of the Rings models and play Lord of the Rings. And I was like, oh, you, if you ever, you know, but he got rid of all this stuff, but he's like, you know, I, I see, he, he saw me painting stuff and we brought it to the game store. He was like, I think, I think I want to try painting some models again. So we looked at a bunch of different options. Like the store near us has a full line of like Reaver Bones. It's got Marvis, Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, the whole 40K line. Like it's got like just all the options, right? And he was looking at the different stuff and, um, I was talking to him earlier today and he was like, yeah, I think, I think the GW stuff is just not for me. It's too busy. Right. And I was like, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. It's, it's actually a pain in like, they're, they're wonderfully detailed models. If you want to paint all those details. Yes. But if yes. you want to, if mm-hmm. you want to have a simpler painting experience, gosh, it's a pain in the neck having those little, doodads and symbols and things on their belt and and Mm -hmm. and trim around every every piece of cloth and it's a yeah it's a lot it's a blessing and a curse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) look at how wonderfully detailed this model is it's beautiful oh gosh oh will i ever finish painting it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) sometimes you know the simple you know and in the older gw stuff most of it is simpler um but there are plenty of you know, things now that you can get that are nice quality and they're simple enough that if you're trying to do a masked battle game, you know, that that's kind of what you're looking for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You want, you want some, are going to be so nickety to paint, but anyway, uh, you're, you're, you're making good progress on it, Greg. So keep plugging away. Thanks. So uh, in terms of gaming, 
we're going to save that for the main topic. Our topic today is about uh, Kings of War Ambush, and that is what we've been playing recently. Uh, yeah. We were excited to give it a try, so we're going to go sort of deeper into that with the main topic. So before we get there, what have you been reading? Um, I started... What did I finish recently? I finished Mistborn not too long ago, like the third one. Um, nice. Did we talk about this on the last episode, actually? I think we might have. Or I've talked I about it. We talked about the series. I don't think you had finished the third book yet. Yeah, that that could be. So we so we finished it. I we I finished it entirely. Um, really enjoyed it. I don't know how much I loved the ending exactly, um, but overall the series was very enjoyable and highly recommend it to anyone who's into a fantasy series. Very good. Um, the new thing I picked up, though, was The Devastation of Baal, which is a Black Library novel. There was a, a Humble Bundle, uh, I don't know, a couple of last month, maybe, and I got 20, like, almost 20, 20-something Black Library novels, like, almost 30, 26 or something like that, for, I don't know, 8 bucks or something. Um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll read a couple of these. They're, they're usually fun enough. Um, the problem is they're not all from the same series. Like I, and I didn't really know what was uh, in it. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, one book from one part of the series and another book from another part of a different series. And, um, that's a lot like, cause if, then I have to go fill in the gaps to actually read in between them. Like for this series that I started on, I think it includes two of the five books from it. Like, okay. Um, so anyway. The Devastation of Baal is about the Tyranids attacking the home of the Blood Angels. And it's um it's it's what you would expect from a Space Marine book. You know? Yeah. So a lot of bug guts. A lot of bug guts, a lot of like really <laughs> big powerful dudes talking to each other in powerful voices kind kind of kind of dialogue. Um it's it you know it's what it is. It's Black Library. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not going to tell you that it's like amazing, uh, amazing writing. That's totally fair. How about you, Greg? What have you been reading? Anything new? Yeah, I've been reading a lot still, and uh, there were a couple I wanted to highlight. So one is a novel called Winter Counts. And I apologize because I'm probably going to mispronounce the author, author's name. Uh, but it's David Heska Wanbley Whedon. And this is his first novel. And I think um, right off the bat, I think it's an excellent book. But I, I think you can tell it's his first novel. So there's parts of the writing that aren't um, amazing. But I'm excited you know, uh, to see what else he puts out because I really loved the story. Oh. So it's a it's like a thriller and it's set in um, a Native American reservation in South Dakota. And okay. the protagonist, his name is Virgil. He's uh, basically a, a vigilante. And what he does is uh, people hire him. Um, sometimes he gets paid for it. Sometimes he doesn't. He'll do it like as a favor. Um, and somebody who you know, has been the, the victim or their family member or friend has been a victim of a crime, 
that has gone, you know, the, the person has gotten away with it. He basically goes and beats them up (laughs) and like, you know, beats them pretty hard, um, you know, uh, in order to dissuade them from continuing to commit crime. And so you would think like, I don't know, that seems maybe a bit preposterous for a hook for a story, but it's actually like, there are people that do this and um, the author explains here. So I'm going to read from a a section of, this isn't from the book itself, but this is from the afterward um, where he he kind of explains the the heart of this issue. Uh, So here, this is from the book because of the major crimes act passed by the U S Congress in 1885 Federal investigators generally have exclusive jurisdiction over felony crimes on reservations, yet they often decline prosecution in these cases, even when the perpetrator has been apprehended. Although the percentages vary from year to year, federal authorities frequently refuse to prosecute murders, assaults, and sex crimes referred from the tribal police departments. Recent figures from the government indicate that over 35% of all referred crimes are declined, And over a quarter of those cases are sexual assaults against both children and adults. So this is actually like a really serious issue that um, indigenous people today in the U.S. are dealing with. Um, But the novel does like a nice job of of telling you an interesting uh, story that is at times humorous, at times, you know, exciting, lots of action and, and plot twists. And also kind of drawing attention to this problem. Okay. Um, so he's basically at the beginning just, you know, kind of taking on odd jobs. And then he gets wrapped up into a much larger plot um, that involves like, you know, corruption in the tribal government and uh, drug cartel and like all sorts of things. But it's it's a really good novel. And I think it did, like I said, kind of strike this balance of, uh, telling you about something that is a real issue that you are going to want to learn more about as you read it, but also telling you a fascinating um, and gripping story. That's cool. So good, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'm excited to see um, what else this author puts out, whether he continues. Um, I think he might continue more books with this protagonist or, or put out other things, but it was really good. Cool. So that was one. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise because uh, I didn't know what to expect. And then another book I recently finished is called Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. You've read other things by Celeste Ng before. Yeah, yeah. So this one, um, yeah, this is her third novel. I read her first and second, and I loved both of them. So I was really looking forward to this, and this didn't disappoint. And I think it's probably her best novel to date. So it's uh, it's a dystopian story set in the near future, and it's told through the experience of one family. So it's like the United States in the near future, there has been a really like the worst economic crisis the country has ever experienced, you know, worse than the Great Depression. And amidst this this horrible crisis, eventually the society turns to a scapegoat, and people who buy into that 
get into positions of power and then they create legislation uh, that does help the country, you know, climb back up out of this horrible depression, um, but also unfairly punishes the targets, you know, who were scapegoated. And so this family is like living with the, um, the legacy of that hanging over them. And it's been about 10 years since these laws were passed. And so the, the heart of the story is a, a young boy who's 12 years old and his father, and they live in a pretty much in poverty in Boston. And his mother has been missing for years. And it's unclear if, because his mother was targeted by the government as a dissident. And it's unclear if she was killed or if she went into hiding or exactly where she is. But, you know, as soon as she left, the he and his father had to publicly turn against the mom and be like, we disown her. We have nothing to do with her. We don't espouse her values. You know, she's dead to us. Good riddance. And he was just a, a, a young child uh, when this happened. So he didn't really understand. And it picks up with him receiving a mysterious letter that appears to be from his mom. And so he goes on sort of this quest to figure out where the letter came from and if it is from his mom and is she still alive and where is she? And part of him, because this happened when he was so young, has bought in to the idea that his mom is a traitor and that she's not a good person. But then he also has these memories of her that are very positive, right? Cause it's his mom. So it's, it's fascinating the way that it goes. And as you know, the book continues, you learn more and more about what happened to create this dystopian future. Sure. And it's just, yeah, it's really well done. It, it draws you in. And I was listening to it on audible and I just, I couldn't stop. <laughs> it's like one of those things, you know, you listen in the car and then you get to your destination, but you keep sitting in the car. <laughs> you don't want to stop. <laughs> so that sounds I pretty really, good, really. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And um, I think it captured what is so good about her, which is writing about relationships between family members, um, but had this extra element to it of being a dystopian novel uh, that was really cool. So I would recommend that. And the Audible, uh, the audio version is read by Lucy Liu, who is uh, you might recognize as a... Oh yeah, um, so that was great. And then one more to talk about, really. Oh quick. man, Whew. yeah, I've been reading so much, but this, this is the tip of the iceberg. The last thing I wanted to mention, I've I've spoken at length about this book already. It's called Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, but I just reread it because the sequel is coming out in January. The sequel is called Hellbent, and so this is simply a plug that if you haven't read Ninth House, it is a tremendous dark fantasy novel. And now is the time, if you've been waiting, because the sequel is imminent. And I read it uh, originally, and I read it uh, in hardcover when it came out. I read it on my Kindle, and then I listened to it just now on, on Audible, because I had a, a free credit that didn't have much else to use. And yeah, the audio version is great too. It's one of those things where it has two different narrators because the chapters flip perspectives between uh, a male and a female character. So they opted for two, um, two readers, 
And it, yeah, it worked out really well. So if you haven't read Ninth House yet, go read Ninth House. You're a fiend, Greg, three times. Yeah, man, it's that good. And it's, how can you not? It's set in New Haven, Connecticut, which is Um, a stone's throw away from where I live. Yep. yep, yep, Relatively speaking. So. (laughs) Very cool. All right, so we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back for our main topic. new ways to play the game including kings of war ambush which is meant for games of under a thousand points so we mentioned previously that we were excited about these rules coming out um there's definitely an appeal to a kings of war game that takes less than half the time of a normal 2000 or 2300 point game easily Um, yeah, there's an appeal in playing smaller point sizes where it's easier to get a force painted. So, you know, for new players joining in or even, you know, like me, starting a new army and maybe you can use it in the meantime uh, before you reach the full, you know, regular Kings of War size. Although not like me, if, as John pointed out, you don't <laughs> base your <laughs> units on the smaller sizes. So my horde of shield breakers that I painted a while ago can totally cannot be played in ambush. <laughs> but, you know, there's all sorts of benefits from uh, wanting to play, you know, a smaller table size so you could easily fit it uh, at home, things like that. So we, we were looking forward to this, and now that the rules are here, uh, we wanted to go over them, give us our thoughts, and talk about some of the games we've played so far. So what do you think? What were your initial impressions when you looked through this? Um, I thought it was going to be really fun. I mean, I've always been a fan of the smaller point size games for a lot of the reasons you listed, you know, the, the space constraints, the time, all that stuff. But also just the vibe of the small game um, is really fun. And I think they did a fair job of, you know, capturing that with changes to the, like the type of terrain that was going to go on the table and the way you build the forces, like putting them... Um, so there's a, a limit on the point size, and you can't take hordes. So I think what's the point cap on 250 points at a full-size game? It, yeah, scale, and we, it scales down for smaller games. It scales down, yeah. So if you're at 995, which is the biggest size, you can take a 250-point unit, and I think the point size is 200 or something like that if you're below... If it's below 750. 750, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's cool that there's a scaling factor, and then... Um, being able to do the unlocks with um, basically any unit that's not irregular, um, you know, it just gives you cool, interesting options. And so immediately, I thought it was fun to start throwing some lists together and then seeing what other people were coming up with with thousand point lists. Just you know, a whole different kind of ecosystem to get into. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just sum up what those army composition rules are because they are different. So. 
we have been playing all the games we've played. We're at 995 points because um, we still wanted, you know, to include as many toys as we could. But it is significantly smaller, right? And so you can include as many troops and regiments as you like. For each trooper regiment in the army, it unlocks either a hero, a monster, a titan, a war engine, or an irregular unit. And you're never allowed hordes and legions, no matter what they are. Each hero, monster, titan, or war engine may only be taken once, so no duplicates. You can only take a combined total of three heroes, monsters, titans, and war engines. So even if you have like five unlocks, you can't take, you know, three heroes and two monsters or etc. Um, only three at max limited units unique upgrades formations and unique spells may not be taken so anything that has that like one in the brackets after it and allies are never allowed irregular units uh, have to be unlocked and then even if a unit isn't irregular if it has the fly special rule it counts as irregular Um, so for example like our, our buddy jim who was bringing sylvankin didn't realize that that at first. And he was like, why is my regiment of air elementals irregular? They're not irregular. And I'm like, you know, it's the fly. And then we already mentioned with the uh, max point size, it's for a 995 point game. No unit may cost more than 250 points, including any magical artifacts, upgrades, or purchase spells. Yeah. So, so pretty straightforward, really. I mean, there's not, that's not that much there. You know, you're still basically building a Kings of War list. It's just got these extra restrictions on it. Yep. And then you playing on a considerably smaller surface, three by three. And so that means uh, a couple things. It means that your deployment zone is only six inches up from your table edge because uh, you still want to maintain that 24 inches between you and your opponent's deployment zones. Uh, so it becomes a lot harder to like layer your units at least initially unless they are like skinny like troops of infantry or something or regiments of large infantry or cav and there is an, uh, a change to the scenarios you basically you know something like put uh invade stays exactly as it is but right that one's easy. a lot of the things like pillage use d3 plus two objective markers or dominate decrease the size of the scoring zone from to nine inches from the center of the playing area. So a couple of tweaks like that to scale the, the scenarios down and you're pretty much good. The terrain rules, we, a couple things about ambush. We we're trying to still figure out what is the right approach, like how to balance it. Right. And terrain was one of those things. So the language of the rules say this, a diverse abundance of terrain becomes more important in smaller games where small imbalances in lists can have a big impact. Uh, as such, it's recommended ambush games play it on a more terrain crowded table than would be the case in traditional games. Players should make sure there are few, if any, clear lanes where line of sight can be drawn across the entire table to keep spells and other ranged attacks from dominating the game. Furthermore, blocking terrain and obstacles should be used, utilized to keep units with the Pathfinder special rule from dominating the playing area. Which so, like, we, it's all yeah. logical, right? That makes sense. Nothing crazy there. Yeah, it's just about like what is. I think <laughs> you don't want to like sway too far in one direction, right. um, and I think to you know we 
the terrain that we use for our events in general in the Northeast, and I think specifically in our terrain collection with the Unplugged Club, kind of has bigger footprints than a lot of people play normally. And those footprints we love in a full-size game, but they come, they're like, oh, a little too big on a three-by-three table. Um, So I think having lots of terrain, but having smaller footprints on some of those terrains pieces is good um but the other thing too with like with the three by three so we you and i played a game and you just had you know you had your elf list and you had one bolt thrower you know just seems innocuous one bolt thrower but then you realize when you put that bolt Uh, thrower down like there's nowhere to hide from it like you can't you can't get out of its range um or you know i played against Keith with his dwarfs and he had one, you know, again, reasonable, just one troop of sharpshooters. But again, with a 36 inch range, it's like, that's everywhere. Oh, and, unless there's like a hill in the middle to block line of sight or, right. or a forest or a building like that, that thing can just, they could just shoot any, anything whenever they want. So it feels totally different. Cause you like, you look across the table and if in a full size game of Kings of War, if somebody took one troop of sharpshooters, it'd be like, ah, whatever, I'll just ignore them the whole game. But exactly. in, in, this, in this size game, a troop of sharpshooters is like, holy shit, that's going to kill my whole army. <laughs> it's it's crazy, the difference. Because, you you know, you've got smaller units. Like, you know, you never... No, I, I shouldn't say this, but nobody ever takes troops of stuff, generally, right? You just don't see them very often. I mean, they're out there. But um, when most of your army is at that troop or small regiment size, you know, a couple of wounds can take your unit off. Oh yeah, and all of your units are that size. It's not like you've got any of these horrors that could be like, yeah, whatever. Your sharpshooters can shoot at me for four turns, before I even start caring about the damage they're doing. To me. Yeah, I think um, you know with the restrictions on what you can take, I think the highest nerve you can get is like, for example, like a shadow hulk. Shadow hulk, right? It's got to be dash twenty. Um. Which is very uncommon. Like troops are going to be 9, 11, 10, 12, yeah, 11, most, 13, maybe. Well, yeah, a lot um, of them are a that. Regiment, 12, 14, 13, 15, 14, 16, 15, 18 kind of thing. Or 15, 17, I mean. Um, you know, so yeah, a couple points of damage <laughs> can really uh, make your... <laughs> make your nerve checks intense and along with that is the fact when you only can unlock a total of three combined right heroes right uh, monsters titans and war engines you from what i saw people had one or two inspiring sources at the most right i was playing with one i was playing with one as well i lost it on turn two (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so unless you're, you know, like Night Stalkers or Basileans with like Alohi regiments or something, you you know, most of your army or a lot of your army might be uninspired. So yeah, those yeah. roles are, are crucial. They're they're crucial, yeah. So it's I mean, you know, you know, I played against Keith and um he failed all of his uh headstrong checks right you know like normal as you do um and so that can be very very crucial um just like that you know spiking that one nerve check is is super crucial you can't get the inspiring sources in 
but just plays it you know plays very different i think you need to take different things into account when you're looking at what you want in a list and also how you're going to position your units and what your risks are and stuff like that and i i appreciate that i think the difference is is fun unique up oh. like it yeah yeah so i think part of a i guess part of a disclaimer with this is i also think having played i've played eight games of ambush i'm a fiend uh <laughs> it's not going to be as it's not going to be as balanced and competitive as a full-size game of kings of war and you if you want to play ambush rule number one you should accept that and embrace that right right and I think you mentioned that too. There's something about a, a game that plays faster where you don't have as much of like a mental and emotional investment in it. So it's easier to uh, shake off the the bad luck or to laugh, you know, when something goes horribly awry. So that's 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 definitely a positive. And then and your investment is is smaller both in like the setup for the game, the time you spent painting it, the time you spent building your list the time you invested in actually playing the game up to the point where you lost. Yeah. So it's all around uh, such, such a, a lighter time investment. Yeah. Um, I think though it does capture like the feeling, like the tactical feeling of playing a full size Kings of war game, because you can still have a decent number of units on the table. So we ran um, our harvest of souls yearly event but we shook things up this year and instead of a two-day gt which we've done for the past several times you know pre-covid we ran it as a one day and we played ambush so we did four rounds in a single day 995 points and the total number of units people were bringing in their list ranged from five at the bottom there were two people who brought uh, five total units. Uh, and then there were two or three of us, myself included, who brought nine units. So really, like, the you can, you can be in the middle or you could go to the extreme where you're like, I'm going to take low-cost, efficient choices and just flood the board, or I'm going to take, you know, things that are close to that points cap that are, you know, sturdier and are going to hit harder and I'm going to, you know, go that way or go down the middle. And I think that's pretty cool. And it, it still plays out like a normal Kings of War game where movement is important, trying to outflank your opponent, trying to, you know, hold on to objectives, all that stuff, because you're playing the same scenarios, right. just modified for the size. Yeah. Um, what were some of the um your uh, the highlights from harvest of souls greg because i i unfortunately was supposed to be there and then had a last minute thing come up and couldn't yeah. play and it which was I, like I, we played a couple of practice games um in advance and i was super yep. excited for it i, I thought it was yep. gonna be so much fun i rewrote um my list and then couldn't go so yep. I, t I totally feel you know let me live through your descriptions of your games <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, there were a lot of highlights to Harvest Souls, uh, a couple of them right off the bat. So we did, we held it at our local store here in Connecticut, but we did still draw people from out of state, from across our region, who were willing to make a drive of a couple hours, you know, for a one day event, chance to do something different 
So a couple of the, the folks from the War Kings in Cape Cod came down, including Joe Taylor, who very graciously made these mugs, custom mugs for uh, a bunch of us, myself and, and you included, although you weren't there to collect. <laughs> and so it's this awesome like Harvest of Souls themed mug and it like we have like a halloween theme to this event and it's got like kind of the background is like a spooky woods and it's got the harvest logo and it's it has my name on it in user entered your channel scary font uh and it's just awesome and it was a surprise that he brought this um you know and he makes all sorts of cool stuff so that was awesome and then the gift giving continued because keith was there and he had recently come across like a donation of just like somebody's old collection of uh, Warhammer miniatures and Warhammer 40k miniatures. And Keith, I was joking with Santa Claus. He was passing out stuff <laughs> to everybody. And again, there's stuff for you. Um, you get a miniature. You get a miniature. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So I got a bunch more of the metal squig hoppers that I love. Um that I've used in a goblin army and they make an appearance in my, uh, ogre army and, uh, this really sweet model of like two night goblins tossing a fanatic. I don't know if you've seen that one. That's very cool. It's like a limited model from 2006. It's so cool. (laughs) So that was awesome. And then another, and this is all, you know, talking about without even playing the games. Um, we had two new faces, at the event uh one was like an old new face our buddy jay who is just getting into kings of war and he had played he had watched you and i play a game of ambush so he could learn the rules and I, then he played the game of ambush yes. with me and he was like i got this and, yeah. he, and you know he has experience playing miniature war games but he was like i got this and i'm gonna paint my army and he went home <laughs> and he got paint on all his models and he brought um, Order of the Brother Mark. And it, he was one of the five unit armies, you know. I think it was like three regiments of knights and a hero on like whatever their equivalent of a Pegasus is. I forget what it's called. Um, and like a mage. But he did it, and he was super proud to have gotten an army painted in time for the event, and it was awesome, and it looked good. And then we have another uh, new player in the area, but not actually a new player, this guy Chris, who's uh, over here in the States for work. He's from the UK uh, for two years. And so he has been getting into the community, and he went to an event out at um, the Albany area that one of Rossi's buddies ran and now he came to this. So it was great to see some new blood. And on that note, that dude showed up, that dude showed up, Mike Rossi. Hey, what's up? There he is. is. (laughs) I'm talking about you. (laughs) Chris showed up too. That's cool. Right. So how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah. uh, Happy to be on. Jay, what's Jay's last name? Jay is a friend of mine. Uh, We went to college together. We were roommates in college actually. And so I've been playing games with Jay for, ever okay. um and we did play kings of war once or twice like last okay. year i think yeah. during during covid i think like i i came over and i brought some armies and i was like hey let me show you this game <laughs> um but we never really really played much after that and he had he was interested though he was like it's super 
it's super easy. It's elegant. And he's got Warhammer fantasy armies that like, you know, sat in a box for 20, sure. 20 years. And he was like, I, I think I could maybe bust out the Bretonians and finally get them painted. So Jay's kind of an interesting case study, not to make this all about Jay, but no, please. we, we, we played games together, Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer and whatever, going back to like 2000, right? Like mm -hmm. a long time ago. And he's always had armies, but never painted anything. Not okay. to speak of, he painted things here and there, but he's he's colorblind. So painting has always been really oh. challenging for him because he can't see what he's painting. Right. But as an adult with time and and I think, um, you know, the trappings of adulthood just change, change you a little bit. But what really made the difference was actually contrast paint for him. Really? Um, and, and being able to kind of like have somebody help you with the color choices or or maybe just like look at look at some examples and not have to tell what likes being highlighted I think yeah um because he could he could prime something white put the colors on it and get it painted and so he has painted in the past 2 years a ridiculous amount of miniatures like huge huge 40k armies and now he's working on these bretonians um and this is a guy who didn't paint his who collected models for decades and never painted them wow <laughs> and yeah, so yeah i think john you had awesome. said like he's He's had these Bretonians since 2002. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they finally have paint. Like we would, we would he set up a so table proud. in our dorm room great. and play play Warhammer in college. That is amazing. But it's right? great to see him painting stuff, and he's he's like enjoying it. And now he won't put an unpainted model on the table. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that is it's, awesome. It's great. It's really great. That rules. Nice. So anyway, so Jay's a Jay's a local gamer that I've been playing with for years. Okay, um, yeah. he's also in with like we used to play X Wing at the local club together as well, sure. and some other games and stuff. So he's sure. he's been around here and there. Nice, cool. And then yeah, and then Chris showed up. He yeah he he came to our uh, to our doubles event with uh, with Johnny Sleeves, and um, they they did great. They were they were smashing everybody up, <laughs> right? Just you know, and it's funny because you know it's that's. Uh, Typical understated British, you know, demeanor. <laughs> right? Just show so up and I'm, smash everybody. Uh, yeah, just like, you know, well, I'll just I'll go here. I'll go over here. Oh, oh, looks like I won. Okay, wow. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Wow. Nothing I did worked. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, right off the rip, it, it was a success because we brought some different folks together. And um, there was there was just like this general camaraderie and spirit of giving. Um, and then on top of that, I got to play four excellent games. So I brought my force of nature. And uh, as I had said, I've been playing with nine units under the, the thought process that, you know, if you just have the most units, you eventually you wear them down and you win. Right. Uh, so that, that looks like three regiments, I'm sorry, three troops of hunters of the wild, two regiments of forest shamblers two regiments of Scorchwings, a winged unicorn, and a forest warden with the pipes of terror <laughs> because I didn't have 20 points to make it an inspiring talisman. Okay. So the whole army, uh, six of those units scout, and then three of them fly. What a jerk. So it gets in your face real quick, which right. is great. And uh, I was surprised, it, you know, we talked about how ambush, like a small number of shots can actually be consequential. You know, I've been using right. the two regiments of Scorchwings 
at 2300 points for a while now and their shooting is always like an afterthought like they're either not in range or I moved at the double or maybe I take some pot shots at you know a unit of chaff kind yeah. of thing but in these games with 14 shots on range four with no piercing, but steady aim. And then five lightning bolt five from the unicorn. It's serious Um, business. It's if you, if you, you know, target that all on one thing, um, you can do some damage, even if it's, you know, a defense five uh, or four target because nerves are lower. And with the restriction, you know, of the one, like one of no more than one copy, like, Keith, for example, plays with uh, in his dwarf one one flame belcher, and like a flame belcher can mess your day up, man. It's oh my god! Shots. Right? Yeah. So like we had played a practice game, and I was like, we played two practice games actually back to back because they're so short. But uh, I was like, after the first game, I was like, oh, so my plan now is to just like you know just concentrate fire on that <laughs> flame belcher. But yeah. if you if they all shoot at it, you can pretty reliably kill it (laughs) sure and then it's like oh there aren't two more that you have to worry about they're just the one right or even if it's you know a a troop or a regiment over a couple turns you can pop it off so uh yeah i saw some some success uh my first game was a grudge match against kyle kyle's another uh old face but felt new because he hasn't been to an event since 2019 so he he plays ratkin Mm. And we we had a great game. Um, we had a, a really <laughs> a really good game that was like he took uh, a mutant rat fiend. Ooh, boy, those things are great! And I'm like, yeah. oh, small points level. Oh no, this guy's gonna be crazy. And he sure enough, he was like, I I didn't have much of an answer for him until he charged in to a regiment of scorch wings. And flubbed his attacks. Oh, problem! My theory of take more units than the enemy came into play when I was like <laughs> flank, flank, and yeah, you know, just a bunch of attacks dragged him down to his death. <laughs> right. Awesome. So, yeah, it started off with a bang. Um, and I played Chris Murphy with his undead, and uh, he had a cool. He also had nine units. Um, yeah. So he kind of followed my theory here, but he took all zombie stuff. So it was three regiments of zombies and two regiments of zombie trolls and a gore blight or blight. Yeah. And then a wow. necromancer with um, that upgrade that gives a vicious aura to yeah. zombies and then a Lycanus and like, yeah, Lycanus is real. Sure. That point size. And we had a, a really good close game. And then I played Keith with his dwarfs for our third uh, showing against each other because we had gotten a couple of practice games in. And he he had like his dwarf list, a little bit of shooting, right? The troop of sharpshooters and the um, the flame belcher. Yep. And then just some, some real solid units, a couple regiments of shield breakers, Mm-hmm. Uh, a troop of bulwarkers. When do you ever see a troop of bulwarkers, right? Right. At, at this point size. And they were good. Um, and then a steel juggernaut 
and a dwarf lord on large beast with uh, the boots of striding. Oh and man! So again, it's like man, I've I've got the best I got is like crush one or thunder one or yeah, corn crush one, thunder one. On he's got both, but he's only got three attacks and he's got defense six. Yeah, how do you uh, deal with that? Oof, how right? do you deal with that? And um, but again, like you know, you kind of you have more units and you kind of um try and swarm that stuff and although i didn't kill the 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 lord on large beast i i think he ended with nine or ten damage on him and i, I neutralized that guy because as as you had mentioned in your practice game keith can't pass a headstrong roll <laughs> no <laughs> Definitely not. i think he had like charged into a troop of um hunters of the wild and he only did one damage to me he whiffed oh god and i came back and did two points of damage or three points of damage and then i uh wavered him on you know like a box of cars waiver and then he failed Ooh. headstrong <laughs> it's just like i just kept wavering him and he kept failing or yeah, he would right. pass it like, and then whiffed like um, dwarves is not his army you know he just can't yeah. pass those headstrongs yeah yeah and that was that was a real tight game too it was it was down to the turn seven roll. So it was a draw on turn six. Oh, uh, and then we went to seven and Keith took the win. Ooh. So that was awesome. And then uh, the last round I played against Doug, also from the War Kings. Yeah, Doug. He had Abyssal Dwarfs. And he that was scary because he's got all these. I think he had four units that had uh, Abyssal, like, mutant throwing mastiffs or whatever yeah. they're called and at that and point level they do at that point level man the oh throwing mastiffs like keith had them too um but he didn't have as many and the the abyssal dwarf ones have vicious yes which is terrifying and he had the dragon fire team yeah uh, which is good and and he had a what is it called a hex caster an iron caster yeah. with yeah. a fireball, fireball different yeah. Yeah. And he's got Fireball 10, which has Vicious and Shattering. Jeez. And I was like, oh, man. And then a, a regimen of um, Abyssal Halfbreeds. And that's a, that's half a big hitter. For, for yeah. Greed, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, some, that's worth it, man. Yeah. It was, it was a solid list. Um, and really, the only thing that saved me was the scenario. <laughs> <laughs> so for this one, we played a modified version of one of the custom narrative scenarios that I had written a while back for Dash 28. Nice. The trick or treat scenario. Yeah. So um, again, this Harvest of Souls is uh, Halloween themed. So I asked Jim who organized it. I was like, Jim, can we please play trick or treat? And he agreed. <laughs> And then I think some people had fun with it. And then some people named K2 were saddened. Why? <laughs> uh, because it was, it's just, it's, I, I, I it's a little wacky. Yeah. That's and there's, why. there's some random chance to, to some of it, right? Yeah. And so the so way I'm... it works at the, at the full points level um, would be you use the bluff tokens. So each player has a two, two ones and two zeros. Mm-hmm. And instead of counting as objectives, they count as loot and you deploy them on your units at the start of the game, like you would in push. And the two is a treat. 
it is worth okay. plus two points at the end of the game for, oh, yeah. if you control it. Yeah. The zero is a trick. It's worth nothing. The one is a trick. It's worth minus one. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And the, I go to Dash 28, look up, do the search yeah. for trick or treat. You can read all the fluff. I wrote fluff for it too. Basically, these um, things are masks of the Reaper that the Varenger have spread around. And Mask of the Reaper gives you life leech. So for each right. uh, one of these trick-or-treat uh, counters that you your unit controls. You get life leech plus one to a max of plus three. Um, but you can't start the game with multiple on one unit. And then the other thing is that because some of them are, are negatives, you can't voluntarily drop them because otherwise you would just drop your negative right. ones. You have to have somebody come and kill you yeah. and you take it. You have to have it, somebody right? come and get you. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> the idea is you're awesome. trying to get your opponent to kill your negatives and you're trying to figure out where your opponent's positive is and get it. Wow. Um, but they are loot. They are loot. So they, you know, they reduce your speed to five mm -hmm. and it's higher than five and right. um, can't be surged. That kind of stuff. Lose nimble. So to play that ambush, we use one uh, token of each value. So a two, a one and a zero. Right. Right. Now, I mentioned a couple people only brought five units in their oh, army. Oh, One of those people was poor Jay. <laughs> and Kate oh, was playing Jay. And so Jay's like, my three regiments of knights have to do what? <laughs> right. And they're all slow. Pick up, right. carry this loot. So they're now they're speed five. And uh, now they get outcharged by Morax, who are speed five with wild charge. Wild charge. So I, I think awful. that's why K2 was annoyed <laughs> because it kind of spoiled that game a little bit. Sure. But it was fun. And what ended up happening is, um, you know, and you don't reveal the values of the tokens till the end of the game. But what, what happened is um, Doug and I had a little bit of a standoff and we both threw forward our unit that had the negative one. And he ended sure. up, I didn't realize that. And he ended up killing my unit and picking up the token. And then I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hiding. I'm just backing up and hiding. Yeah. And like, uh, aside from the, um, you know, the half breeds, the other dwarfs are like, we're speed four and there's a bunch of obstacles and, Difficult Ugh. terrain on the table. Oh, and I was like, you know, I'm across. back here. I'm back here, bud. And so we were kind of like cagey after that happened. And I think it was like turn five when Doug looked at me. He's like, oh, no, I know what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> I have your minus one token. And I was like, right. shrug, maybe. And <laughs> Nobody so knows. We, killed, really. we both killed about the same, but he had picked up my negative one. So he had zero points because he had his two. Oh uh, man! And then two negatives. And oh, I that is so funny. Two. It is. So, yeah, it I like fun. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> but it was good, and it. I think the scenario is is good fun. Um, yeah, it can. You know, it depending on the makeup of your army, it can um, skew things. Yeah, but I, I would I, recommend. Yeah, go go on to Dash Twenty Eight, search up Trick or Treat, or search Narrative Scenarios, so you can see all of them. Um, right, and give it a try. It's fun. I actually think but, that that works better. To be honest, I think the scenario has a lot of merit. But the I to your point, right? If you have seven or eight, ten units of a normal size game, then there is a little more 
strategy involved as opposed to right. you got five units. And maybe that's yep. the point is don't take five units, but you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about them apples? Right. But yeah. So uh, I mentioned, you know, at the start, one of the highlights of the event was Joe Taylor. So Joe, I went three and one. I lost to Keith. I won my other games. Uh, finished third place. Very happy with that result. Uh, Joe, 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 Joe. Joe brought five unit Varinger army. Yeah. He just smashed everyone's face in. Sure. <laughs> there isn't, and, there is not enough room on that table to no. get away from the threat range and the and the the overlapping charge stuff there's just no i guess it, i don't know i i played uh some ambush against Corey, and he took something similar and yeah. it was with varinger yeah. and i was like well i'll just take i'll take some elves and the 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 the, the one the table is crowded right mm -hmm. with terrain mm -hmm. so not, him not having pathfinder is a problem but you know what there's walls all over the place so I have Pathfinder with no Strider. Uh-oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is that because the table is smaller, you have less time. Yeah, there's still two foot of dead space, but I can't maneuver. I can't get out of I can't get out of the way. I right? can't keep backing up. You know? No. And you I can't you can't make wide flanks either. You nope. Know? Yeah, there's just not there. Oh, not even close, right? And so um the same thing. I played him and I think the game was over by turn four. I mean, he had slain wow. all my stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, let's re, let's re, I can try this again. And, you know, it's still, it was not yeah. good. So, I think, yeah. Anyway. So I did not play Joe. Um, after I lost to Keith, Keith went on to play Joe round four. I would have liked to see, you know, what my nine units could have done against his five. Um, and I, I don't know. His list was essentially it was two regiments of Huskarls, a regiment of whatever the basic infantry are, not Draugr, yeah. but the the medium one, Klansmen. The Klansmen, yeah. Um, I think upgraded with the two handed weapons, and then a a cavern dweller, oh, who's so good, and, and a lord on good at, any points. <laughs> good at any points, right? Yeah. So yeah, it it hit like a like a truck. Wow, Zowie, man, right? And on that table, that that um uh, very inspiring means essentially the entire army is always inspired, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. That's yeah. especially that's when you only have a handful of units. Yeah, right, right. Keeping them in so problem. right. I think what you brought up though, Mike, uh, leads into two points. So we started out and we said you know ambush by design is less balanced and competitive. So you should know yeah. that going in. Sure. But I also think it, it gives you more room and more freedom to experiment and change the rules than people are usually comfortable doing. Yeah. So already like Jake is going to be running a, an ambush league with his local club. Mm -hmm. And he said that they are going to play on four by four tables because that's what they want to do. Sure. That's what <laughs> sure. you want to do. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. And so maybe right. if you're finding like uh, three by three is a little unbalanced for those melee armies because you can't escape. Now, I think it's kind of cool because like Keith's units of shield uh, breakers, I find I was like when we played our game, I'm like, wow, you can't avoid these things, even though they're speed four. Like, yeah, eventually they come and get you. Right. Um, but that's a cool change you can do. 
Now, Corey Reynolds had thrown out in our um, conversation, like maybe playing to turn five and rolling for a turn six is better at the ambush level than playing six turns and rolling right. for a seven. Yeah. And I don't know for sure if how I feel about that necessarily, but I'm willing to try it. And and what I have noticed in my eight games professional over here. Is, is that right. like so many of them are ending in one side getting tabled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that rarely happens in uh, a full size game, at least in my experience. So when mm-hmm. I say so many, I mean, maybe like a quarter, like a, well, a quarter of the games I've played and the ones I've seen been tabled. Yeah, have ended in somebody being tabled. And so, and like that wouldn't happen if you ended on turn five necessarily. Now, you mentioned, Mike. No, I was, I was tabled by turn four in both my games. Okay. But uh, that does play in the fact that there's less time of doing the dance, right? You just get into it faster. You got to get into it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, but it's a good point about kind of just like experimenting with stuff and, Generally, you know, when we get into these big tournaments, people are very hesitant to adjust the rules. They're like, ah, oh, we don't want to have to comp things and stuff. But for something like this, I just feel like the vibe is more on the fun side. It is, right? And so so go wacky. It's okay. Try try different stuff. Go with the bigger table. Go with less turns. Go with the short clock. Mm-hmm. Adjust the way uh, the, the amount of terrain you're using or uh, change the, change the um, terrain rules if you want. I don't know. It's okay because you're again you're not just not investing as much into each individual game. I feel more comfortable letting it play out and see what happens. Yeah, I, I think so. I it's it whenever you have a a format. Listen, nine fifty on a small table with boatloads of terrain. Before it's going to take a while. I actually think it's a very. I mean, I got done playing core and I said this is a very different game. Yeah. It's a very different game. It feels right. even though it's the same units and whatever. It feels like a very different game to the point where. I don't know if 250 points max for a unit works because at that point it's like a death star. I actually think it's a little too high. Yeah. You know? I was... Yeah. Could you could go with that 200 point cap, but yeah, just right? play that, um, you know, at the nine, nine, five still. Right. Cause the other thing is, because yeah, certain cords. units like are just right. blunders at that yeah. size. Right. Yeah, and then you can't take hordes, and the thing that hordes allow you to do is put down twenty-one, twenty-three nerve. Nerve, right? Just and so you don't have, like yeah, you don't have the same nerve on the table. I don't know. I think it's like I said. I think it plays it plays very differently, right? Yeah, and so yeah. you know, I also think from an aesthetic standpoint, I think it looks really cool. And, sure does. Um, because the table is a little more crowded with terrain and, you know, assuming that your terrain is nice, <laughs> right. that looks cool. And you still have a bunch of units, but they're smaller. Um, and I, I did, I took a, a number of photos. So when I post about this episode on the Instagram account, I will also post my photos from Harvest of Souls. Nice. And that again is, uh, what is my... What is my Instagram account? Unplugged uh, Radio KOW. KOW, yeah. Yep. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Let's look. Pretty yeah. sure. Unplugged Radio KOW. Yeah. There it is. So if you want to see those photos, you can do that by following mm-hmm. me. Right. Cool. 
So overall, I mean, I so I didn't get to play at Harvest of Souls. I played a couple of games um, outside in in advance of it, like like Mike was doing. Uh, yeah. And I found I yeah I couldn't maneuver. Um, well, Greg was talking about the terrain, right? We played with different amounts of terrain, and and kind of then we got into a you know discussion about what the right amount of terrain is. I found it was very difficult to get off a charge anywhere. Um, the game I played against Greg was funny because my bolt thrower got insanely lucky. I think it hit seven out of eight times that it got oh to shoot. Oh my god! Like like it, it, yeah, and that was in cover most of the time too. <laughs> so, and so it was just taking units off. Um, but that wasn't. That wouldn't happen under normal, <laughs> normal uh, statistics, right? So, like figuring out the right amount of terrain, and then playing with lists, like you were saying, Mike, right? Like units that are good in normal Kings of War are going to be garbage in this, or vice versa. Mm. And so, figuring that out, like I, I looked at a, yeah, I was playing with some elves, and I was like, oh, Palace Guard, I think are pretty good, and I, I still think they are, but the Stormwind Cavalry were hot garbage, um, right? And so I what I was going to take to Harvest of Souls was an Empire Dust list that was just going to have some hard-to-kill units backed up by some heal, and I was like, well, I'll just I'll just run onto the objectives and sit there, and you can charge me with your little troop units all day long, and they'll never kill right. my mummies. Right. Um, and that was kind of going to be my strategy, although I, I didn't actually get to play any games with that, so who knows? It could have been terrible. Right. <laughs> but, Joe, Joe but in theory, Joe would have run over. would have had a problem, right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you know? But it's it's uh, it's I, I, the the thing that I I actually don't like, and I understand why you want a crowded table, and this is from the Northeast where we're known for big terrain, right? But I I really thought that at least the table that I played on when I played against Corey, based on the you know based on the recommendations in the in the book, I was like, holy crap, man! If you don't have Pathfinder, like, what do you do? Right? Like I. I guess you just crash through the woods and by turn five, you kill all my crap instead of turn four, but it made it so that there's hardly any clean charges. Um, we played with three walls on the table too, right? Cause they actually suggest that you have more, uh, yeah, more obstacles, more obstacles, yeah. right. Than normal. So we're like, fine. But even that made it like super hard to maneuver. Um, you know, so I would actually reduce the amount of terrain or play on a four by four with that amount. Right. And that, see yeah, I think how the game feels right. That's kind of where I was going with it too, Mike. I, I felt like it was too crowded. Yeah. Right. As, as the person playing force of nature, I think we need to double down and put more terrain. Well, I'm, <laughs> but, I, I understand. <laughs> right. There's no bias no. there at all. No. Absolutely. Don't. I think part of it, and, and John and I talked about this before you jumped on, but like, having smaller footprints on the terrain pieces than we normally use um, would be appropriate because I, I think the main yeah. thing you want to do, even if you reduce how much like difficult terrain and whatnot there is, or the size of it, you still want to have line of sight blocking so yeah. that that one bolt thrower can't just shoot everything yeah. all the time. <laughs> and right. yeah, it's not always going to get lucky like it did in my game with John, but it can like, because nerves are so much lower, like, uh shooting unmitigated could also be a problem sure. but again it's like you know there has to be a little bit of community self-policing yes things too because yes. this is this is not a balanced competitive version like the full size right um, so you got to know that going in like the first game that keith and i played against each other he took um 
because under 250 points for 245, you could take a steel behemoth, which is defense six with 17. Uh, 19. He took one of those. Yeah. Well, I what took the greater air elemental to, to, uh, to rumble to counter right. it. And like we've, we finished that game. We were both like, we're not taking these things. This like, is stupid. Yeah. The list. Like, right. This is yeah. It's dumb. <laughs> How many points is the greater air elemental? 180. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he's dirty. Oh, okay. Mine That's was 200 because just... I upgraded him to lightning three, so That's... I had even more shots. That's dirty. Yeah, it was like it no, 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 no. Get that out of here. <laughs> Hit the bricks with that crap. <laughs> Okay, I was gonna say, well, that's yeah. Well, the steel behemoth is over the points limit. If you if you lowered the points limit a little bit, it would yeah, be over because it, it's yeah, right on the, the line. The air elemental wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, gross, <laughs> gross. Well, that's just a general war problem with the cost of air elementals. <laughs> I think so. That's not an ambush yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exacerbated at that point level, though, right? Yeah. Come on, seriously. So Probably. I think um, I don't know. I think kind of to summarize our thoughts on ambush. Uh, one, it is fun, and we recommend people uh, give it a whirl as something a little bit yeah. different, and it, it has kind of the benefits that we went over. Um, but two, approach it differently than you would of a full-size game, and that's okay. And three, definitely feel empowered to adapt the rules to whatever works best for you and the people you're playing with. Because it, it's not like, you know, so much of what we do. And I think in certain uh, gaming communities, this is true too. So much of what we do is foster around what's the next tournament. And yeah, even if we're not playing in the tournament, we're practicing for the tournament. And then we're also at another level like well what we do in our tournaments is informed by what's going to happen at masters so every game just kind of becomes masters prep <laughs> yeah and I, like, I think we need to break through what? that I we agree. don't have to do that all the time and right. that's fun too. and that that's specifically why harvest the souls became this this year to, to to break that trend and give us something that was absolutely not about that kind of tournament masters feel right right no, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm sad I had to miss it. Right. But. Cool. Well, I look forward to uh, getting some more games in. Um, yeah. Definitely. I think I'll, I think I'll be able to play a little bit next week, and I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Um, before we sign off, Rossi, do you want to share with the good listeners? Um, logistical details about uh, okay. dead of winter where well, i think I that's do. our next big event when is yeah. that happening and where that is the last weekend in january i actually nailed down the uh nailed down the date over the weekend with the venue um here in albany new york at uh the fortress of gaming um which is the event space run by the guys who run zombie planet which is our local game store um uh, this year we're looking at uh 2150 points um, why that why that point size? Is I don't right? know. Just okay. because right? just because uh, just to because, be different. Right. Yeah. Uh, enough reason. That's right. Uh, but more importantly, um, this year uh we are doing because it is our second uh second year, we're doing the uh there can be only two um rule. So essentially you can take two of any unit and size combination, a maximum of two. So you can't take three, five, ten, you know. I think one of the things that I'm seeing with with uh, with army lists these days, it's like 
I think whites are good. I'll take nine cords of that. All of those. Right. Shut up, right? So um, this is, I really wanted to run a Highlander tournament, but that's too much, right? Where it's just, you're only allowed one of each unit type. That, that would, if you did that, that out of Some people wouldn't size, be able to feel no, that. Yeah, <laughs> to, be honest, to, to be honest, it'd be proxy town if I did yeah, that. But I right, think, yeah, I think yeah. the rule of two is as close as I can get and still have people be able to field fieldable armies, right? So we're gonna see how that goes. Um, uh, I know. love that. I love I love the the new challenge that'll bring for trying to figure out lists and yeah. just shaking up what you can expect to see and how you're gonna approach you know your right. game. And it's and it's different from and and uh, we're doing no allies. So oh no yeah, allies. no allies this year. That's fine. I don't like allies. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going on. It's funny. It's like, what do you do with the big red book where it's okay? So the big red book says, please don't take allies. And it's like, okay, I, I should probably listen to that. But it's also like, here's the withdrawal rule. And so as of now, I'm going to allow the withdrawal rule the way that it's in the book. So people mm -hmm. can still do it, but you're minus one to charge if you one. do. Yeah. Um, I am, my personal opinion is that the game would probably be better. And I think this is the way it's going anyway, without the withdrawal rule. But the problem is that you can still corkscrew. You can still corkscrew, right? You can mm. still, if you're in a square base, you can still, you don't have to withdraw to turn 90 degrees and go charge something else, right? So that's mm -hmm. that's what they really are trying to do, is my understanding, is trying to prevent that. So what you could do is, and I toyed with doing this, but it's a little off the reservation, so I didn't, have the idea of you can take your units and you can withdraw, and you can disengage and do anything you want, but you're not allowed to count. If you were in combat at the beginning of the turn, you can't be in combat with something else you weren't in combat with mm. at the beginning of the turn, right? So yeah, you can withdraw and you can move, but you can't go charge something else. Yeah. They just put that rule in the game. That meets the intent. And you still have the idea of being able to move units around, have a fluid line once the combat starts, right? And I think that would be a good compromise. And I was debating on throwing that rule in, but I'm like, nah, it's a little much. So we'll just stick with this for now. Um, and then we'll see what happens next year, depending on how the, how, how things go, I may put it in there, but I don't want to be too, you know, even with the rule of two, I'm like, is that copy? Is that too copy? But anyway, I'm running, I'm running the kite, John, to your, to something you had said in an, in an earlier episode, I'm going to try to run the kind of event that I would want to go to. Right. And so those are the rules that I would like to play Kings of War under. So we'll see if anybody else agrees with me. There you go. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. I think yeah. it's going to be fun. Yeah, and you said I could take two of anything, so I'm taking ogres with two Namagarok. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, <laughs> that's for you, Greg. That's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, I do. I do have to say that this year we're also going to have um, uh, we're going to have the same. You know, it'll be at a venue. There'll be food and drink at the venue. There's going to be beer at the venue for people to care about that. Um, we're going to be doing some different dinner options this year, so that people actually eat on time. Um, working through that. And we're going to still do a charity raffle, raffle to uh, to benefit uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So all those things are still happening. Um, and I can't wait to have everybody, you know, show up. We have, uh, um, I wasn't able to get a room block because I don't think I'm going to get enough people from out of town. But I do have a recommended hotel that a couple of people have already um, uh, reserved rooms at. Right, too. So it's like, okay, so if you want to hang out with people afterwards, like this is this is the place where everybody's staying. But the venue itself should be able to stay open pretty late, take care of everybody for the board gaming and everything else that they have there. So but yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be good. I I now I have to get to sit down and, and uh figure out what I'm doing for TO software. 
oh, this year. Oh, that's right? another complexity that we deal with before. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I'll figure something out. I'm not too worried about it. But anyway, yeah, super excited. This weekend in January, um, there'll be a post up on uh, all the usual Facebook uh, locations probably tomorrow. Let's see, we're recording today on Wednesday. Uh, all the ticket information and everything should be set up in the event space. And so I should be able to have an announcement tomorrow on Facebook, which means that by the time the listeners are hearing this, it will have been up for about a week or so. You know, by the time you're here. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm... I'm really excited. It was an incredible event last year. I think it can only get better. Yeah. Moving forward. So, yeah. And I'm, and we're going to hang up and I'm going to try and create some lists. <laughs> I appreciate it. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and the nice thing too is, and, and, and to your point, Greg and John, I don't think that it works to have the event as a super hyper tight competitive event. Right. I mean, we're still going to, I think we're still going to do the terrain rules the same way we did last time where it's alternating placement, but, you know, be more than X and such number of inches away. And don't worry about, you know, I mean, K2 said it best at the beginning of Orktown last year. He said, hey, you know, just play the game and don't worry about it, you know, or something along those lines. If you're worried too much about it, then maybe this isn't the event for you. Just come on in and have a good time. Somebody will win. Somebody won't. It'll be fine. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just come in and have a good time. Right. That's what we're shooting for. So. All right, that's that's all I got. But cool, cool. Looking forward to it. All right, folks. Well, all right, thanks buddies. for tuning in. Thanks for podcasting with us. And until next time, take yeah. care of yourselves. Take it easy, buddies. All right, see you, everyone. Bye.